Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, August 8th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I'm pretty excited because last week we kicked off the first of what I presume is going to be many monthly Clear Admit Plus webinars where we got to we actually got to meet some wiretaps candidates who had been featured on the show and and even just, and others who just posted on Apply Wire. So it was kind of a you know it was a small group because we've just launched Clear Admit Plus, but I had a lot of fun. It reminded me of our clubhouse conversations we had last year with some candidates, and so it's always fun to kind of meet the folks that, you know, listen to the show or are kind of actively applying to business school. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And quite honestly, the quality of those folks was outstanding, I thought. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do in the um, this upcoming season. But yeah, what a great conversation. And um, looking forward to the next one. Hopefully, it'll be a few more folks um, joining us at that time. Yeah, I think invariably there will be because we're there are more people joining <laughs> Clear Admit Plus each day, so um, there'll probably be a few more people next time out. Uh, speaking of, you know, you talk about the, you know, the the admissions process. I know that we're now, you know, uh, roughly a month out from some of the big deadlines, and I was looking at the list and. You probably have this memorized because I know that one of the things you do is <laughs> note all this stuff and, and get word out on the website. But uh, I saw Oxford's deadline for the first round is the 31st of August. Um, and then the Indian Business School or Indian School of Business, sorry, is the 4th of September, followed by Cambridge on the 5th, INSEAD on the 6th, uh, ESA is also on the 6th. And then on the 7th, you've got Duke for early action, Harvard, and Wharton. The day after that is Darden on September 8th, and then London Business School September 9th. So that's just the first handful of days in September, and there are a lot of big schools with deadlines. Yeah, it's soon coming around, so it's absolutely, you know, folks need to be really in the weeds now of sort of, um, you know, getting their their first round applications um, squared away. It does seem like each season... Um, it gets just a little bit earlier. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the start date. So yeah, absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I, I hadn't actually looked at this yet. That was one of my plans for next week. Now I need to start looking at this stuff earlier myself. <laughs> but lots of non-US schools kicking us off. Yeah, interesting, right? And yeah. I think if I were buckling down and trying to write essays. One of the things I would do is I would want to watch, you know, all five of the videos that we recorded about essays for the Admissions Academy. Um, I think that that would be a great place to start. (laughs) No doubt, Graham, no doubt. Let's stop plugging Clear Admit Plus. We said we were going to dial it back a little bit this week. Yes. All right. So over on the website, we did an admissions director Q&A with Morgan Janella, who is over at Columbia Business School. And... You know, I, you know, I always try to pick out a little quote and I picked one out that I, I'm particularly keen on about Columbia because I think it's worth noting. And, and she, she just mentioned that um, she said, we are thrilled to welcome prospective students to our new Manhattanville campus. We recently launched the MBA campus visit program, which offers the opportunity to meet current students, have your questions answered by admissions and explore our new buildings. In addition, we reintroduced the class visit program this summer, which gives prospective students a chance to experience the CBS classroom. Applicants and alumni will have the choice to conduct interviews in person or virtually this year. So that's kind of the full update 
update on, you know, can you go to campus? Do you have to do stuff in person or not? But I just wanted to underline it because of their new um, facilities, which yeah. are pretty stunning. And I've got to, I think I'm going to um, try to get over there in the fall because I haven't been to the new campus yet. So I'm hoping to do that. I got to imagine if they hadn't opened up that new campus, I wonder if their campus visit program would have been rolled out so extensively. Yeah. Um, but that's absolutely fantastic. And, and kudos to Columbia um, for getting it done. It's been in the in the works for lots and lots of years. So I bet they're thrilled to be there. Yeah, totally. Uh, the other thing we did on the website is we ran another real numbers of MBA admissions. And this one was just about the percentage of women in MBA programs. And, you know, you probably know this, Alex, but um, the school that led the way um, we're looking at last year's stats because this year's are largely not out yet, but for the class of 2023, I guess it is, right, was Wharton um, with a 52% women. Do you know any of the other schools that have a really high percentage or anything off? The- Marshall. You know what? It's funny. Marshall has fallen back down into the 30s. I have no idea wow. how that's possible because they were actually up at 50 um, and they felt, I don't know what happened. Well, that that doesn't surprise me, Graham, because that's the function of having a smaller class size. Yeah, there's more. These of a... sort of things will be much more variable. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. we know Marshall was the first school to get over 50% amongst the top schools. Yeah. Um, two seasons ago, I think, and then Wharton joined them last season. But yeah, no, it's interesting that Marshall's dropped back. Yeah. yeah. So the next one is actually Kellogg at 49%. Then you have Duke at 48, um, ESMT in Berlin is 48%, Oxford 47, Tuck and HBS and Michigan are all at 46. So those are some of the schools with the highest percentage of women. Now we just got, I mean, literally hot off the presses um, as we're recording this, we just got the Wharton class profile, Alex. And I know that um, Lauren, our editor in chief has run an article about it. And so what's, what's your take? Because Wharton's percentage women in the current class is 50%. So they're down, you know, a couple percent from last year. But anything else stand out to you from the class profile at Wharton for this incoming class? Yes, it's these test scores, Graham. <laughs> it's, it's, to me, it's mind-boggling how you can have an average GMAT of 733, which is a really, really high average score. Yeah, and um, I think similar to last year, right? I'm, I'm almost identical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's not surprising, right? Yeah. Um, but this GRE, 162 on the quant, 162 on the um, verbal, that's the, the average scores of those that are in the class. Yeah. It makes you wonder, why does anyone ever bother with the GMAT? Right, because if you add that up, that's what, a 324, if my math is correct. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, what is a 324 if we were to use that kind of ETS, you know, conversion chart between GRE and GMAT? It's it's more like a, is it a 700 or? It'll be in the 600, late 600s or something like that. But I mean, there's, there's no, the 162-162 is not at par with 733. That's very clear. Agreed. Um, yeah. In, 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 in my mind. And we've talked about this on several um, Wiretaps podcasts before. Um, now, what they don't publish, I don't think, is the number of the class that took the GMAT versus the GRE, i.e. was it 50-50? I don't think so. Um, But what percent ultimately um, did the GMAT versus the GRE? I don't think we know that, Graham. No, we don't. We don't. But these numbers, I think, are puzzling. We will see similar numbers, I think, at other top schools, but it'll be interesting um, to take note of that and see if that truly is the case. 
Yeah. So one other tidbit, and then we should get into our wiretaps candidates. But one other one other tidbit about this is that I noticed that their average GPA is a three six for the incoming class. So no surprise there. That's kind of where a lot of the top schools end up sitting, or certainly M seven schools. But there's a little asterisk, and it says average GPA only includes data from students who attended universities with a four point zero grading system. So that means that you know anyone from basically outside the U S. If you're a yeah. you know a second class honors at Oxford, or if you're a you know seventy percent out of a hundred uh, in India at some engineering school, that's not factored in here. And that's actually, I think, potentially good news for those who attend a school outside of the United States and are, you know, kind of worrying about, you know, great inflation in the U.S. versus abroad. And so just interesting to, to see that. Yeah, we do have great inflation in the U.K., let me tell you. Oh, OK. Interesting. It's live and rampant. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's a very good point, though. Um, and also uh, another thing that we sort of try to um, encourage folks if you do have a degree from outside the US in that optional essay you want to certainly introduce what, what your class rank was yeah. as another sort of indication of, of in terms of where, where you graduated in your class yeah. that's helpful the other quick thing about this um, profile Graham um, and 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 you, you, you did mention that quite a few schools now publish this statistic 11% of first generation. I really like that statistic. Um, you know, in terms of we we you know we oftentimes in 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 wiretaps as we're breaking down um, candidates, we admire the first generation folks that you know have overcome several hurdles, do what they've been able to do, and so on and so forth. And it's 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 great to see that schools do publish that statistic. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and you know, I think it's becoming more common. Uh, one other thing, since we're <laughs> kind of diving deep into the Wharton class profile, is that the percentage of people in the class who are humanities major is 34%. So I just think it's always interesting to see that it's literally split like 32% come from kind of business undergrad, 34 from STEM, and then a full 34 come from humanities. So I just, a little word of encouragement as someone who was a humanities major myself, I always was kind of fearful of business school because I thought, oh, you got to have kind of a hard science or business background to stand a chance. And clearly that's not the case. I mean, they're taking plenty of people. <laughs> Great. Do, do you have do you ever watch Big Bang Theory? I've seen it. Yes, I know the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're not they're not very pro on the humanities. No, they're not. I know. <laughs> that show is, yeah. Anyway, that's for another day to talk yes. about. Yes. All right. So, um, moving right along, we've got an event coming up on August seventeenth. Uh, it's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it's actually we're taking some of the real humans uh, from that kind of alumni series and bringing them onto a webinar to talk with prospective candidates. So there's more details to come, but I heard a rumor that we're going to have some folks who, you know, they've all gone to top MBA programs and they're working at places like Amazon or Microsoft. And so it's going to be interesting just to allow prospective candidates in our audience to connect with MBA grads from top schools who are working now and, and in most cases have been working for a couple of years and can talk all about you know, the recruiting process, what it was like to get the job, how the MBAs helped them in the job. So stay tuned for more details on that. But it's August 17th at 8 p.m. We'll have a sign up coming shortly on, on the website. So very, very cool stuff. Very good. So the next the next thing, Alex, is just people can always email us at info at clearadmit.com using the subject line wiretaps. We will write you back, promise. So send us a note if you can. Um, other than that, Alex, we've got three candidates that you've picked out. So I recommend we kind of um, dive on in if you're ready. 
Let's kick on. All right, so this is Wiretaps candidate number one. This is a candidate who wants to start business school in the fall of 23. Um, the one wrinkle that makes this candidate kind of interesting is that they actually posted the supplier wire entry about a year ago, and we had commented on it, and then they've come back with some new information as they prepare to actually apply. Um, they've got eight schools on the target list, and those schools are Tuck, Duke, Michigan, Kellogg, uh, Foster, McCombs, Darden, and Yale. They've been working in the oil and gas service industry, and they would love to pivot into consulting or tech after business school. They have Accenture, Bain, BCG, McKinsey, and even Tesla on their list of potential targets. Uh, GPA 3.64. They've got four and a half years of work experience, although I believe that might be, um, well, we'll find out. I can't remember if it now is a little bit more than that or if that they were already forecasting <laughs> what it would be. But one of the things that were missing when they posted this was a GMAT score. Um, and they've since gone and taken the GMAT. I believe we actually, um, I want to say in episode 183 of the podcast, if my notes are right here, we actually talked about this candidate. Uh, and so the big news is that they came back and they've got a GMAT score. It's a 720. Uh, and that was their first kind of official attempt. And they're kind of wondering, do they sort of forge ahead and apply in round one? or do they maybe reset the test? And the reason they're wondering this is because they're originally from India, although they live in the U.S. now, and they did do undergrad in the U.S., or they transferred and finished in the U.S., um, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, they did like two years in India, two years in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you walk us through, Alex, because you had a lot of dialogue with this candidate, both last year and, you know, more recently. So what, what's your take, and what do you think are the key things that they need to be thinking about? Well, I mean, this is an interesting candidate. This is the first candidate that we've now profiled twice <laughs> on wiretaps. Yeah. So that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, so, and quite frankly, I didn't go back and, and listen to the recording from last time to see the specifics of the guidance that we provided. So hopefully uh -oh. we don't start contradicting ourselves too much. Um, but, um, but no, I mean, the end of the day, I think this candidate's done very well with the GMAT, right? They've got the 720. It's as, you know, if they were targeting Wharton, it would be 13 points below their average. Um, but they're not targeting Wharton. They're targeting sort of top 16 type programs with one, um, one M7 and a couple sort of um, e even outside the top 16, I think. Mm -hmm. so, so their target schools appear to be quite realistic for their overall profile. Um, the, the key will be, you know, their, their, their work experience, their, their sort of, you know, being able to really show that impact and growth and so on and so forth. And I think that they've, um, they, they, they are, are, are going to be able to do that. They're also first generation, although, um, you know, you know, coming from India, um, but, but, but actually that yields quite an interesting personal story. Mm-hmm that also dials into their goals. So they can go back and talk about this um, backstory of their mother sort of, you know, really helping them as kids when when the electric was cut out or when other sort of um, energy sources were cut out, um, etc. And that sort of put them on this pathway to try to sort of make an impact in the oil and gas industry in sustainable ways for sort of, um, low income or less developed communities and so on and so forth. So, so the whole story is actually, I think, very interesting. Um, that, that ADCOM should, 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 should be appealing to ADCOM. 
the, the the real sort of roll of the dice question, and we have a bit of a gambling theme in in this this um, <laughs> episode of wiretaps, as you'll you'll get from the second um, candidate. But the whole sort of gamble is: should they apply in the first round with their seven twenty, or should they? They're considering retaking the GMAT because they reckon they might get a squeeze ten or twenty additional points, hit that seven thirty, um, and and then apply in the second round. Now, my quick advice um, would be apply in the first round because even though their personal story is actually quite interesting, I think, and they've come to the US and and done some interesting things, they still are prone to fall into this overrepresented bucket, even though I think they can stand out a little bit from it. They're they're still going to be a little bit prone to that. So the first round will give them better options, better access if they can get everything together for the first round. So I say the first round with a 720 is going to be more viable than round two with the possibility of a 730 or a 740. So so that would be my initial um, bit of advice. The second follow-on bit would be applying the first round with your 720, maybe not to all the schools, save a couple back for the second round, retake, get that 730, 740, and submit that back to the schools you applied in the first round before decisions are released and, and use it for your second round schools. That would be the sort of, all right, I'm not quite sure what the advice should be to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dilemma. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the candidate is overrepresented. I mean, they're, they're from India originally. They did the first two years of undergrad in India and then came to the U.S. And they did attend a top 10, they claim, uh, mechanical engineering program in the U.S. So, I think they did, you know, well enough. I mean, a three point, what is it? 3.64 is great. Yeah. Uh, they've had interesting work experience in the States. So there's some things that start to differentiate them, but they're still overrepresented, I would argue. And so I think it doesn't hurt to stand out. I, with that said, they mentioned that in their mock exams, they had scored, you know, 710, 700, 700. They did three kind of full length mocks and then they took the real thing and they got a 720. And so part of me um, feels like, you know, that's a pretty good score and that being like you're saying in the first round is going to add a lot of value. So I'm confident that given the story they can tell, given some of the unique aspects that applying in round one with the 720 may be sufficient to gain access to their target schools. Obviously, you know, if they want to, you know, take the test again and apply to some additional schools in the second round, by all means, you know, if they really feel like they could squeeze some additional points, but I'm, I'm comfortable and feel like I certainly wouldn't tell them, you know, wait, take the test again and apply in round two. I mean, that would, I think, be a really bad idea. Right. So if it's one or the other, you know, <laughs> they should apply. Yeah. The one extra thing I'm going to add, Graham, is apply in round one, be prepared to retake the GMAT, even if they don't have a round two strategy. Yeah, because this is a type of profile. I know what you're going to say. That might end up getting waitlisted. <laughs> yeah, no, this is absolutely the kind of profile that gets waitlisted because yeah. the school will say, "Well, it's probably good enough, but let's see if they're better fish in the sea, or let's yeah. see if this candidate comes back with a 740 between now and round two. Yeah. Um, but for you know, be what it what it is. So, yeah, 
So I, I agree with that 100%. I did want to thank um, the candidate for, you know, being engaged all this time with us and, and coming back to Apply Wire. I think they posted after they were featured uh, on the show. So they, they posted sort of a follow-up comment. And then yeah. they came back literally like a year later and have, you know, updated with the test score. And it's great. Um, also, kudos to you, Alex, because you always identify these recent comments from older posts. So very cool stuff. I want to wish them the best of luck. Um, should we move on? you have anything else on that one? They're not on ClearMit Plus yet. That's the, the one downside. Yeah, that is baffling. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> All right. So let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is an apply wire entry that we received. Uh, they are looking to start school in the fall of 23. They've been working in consulting and plan to stay there post MBA. They're actually a sponsored candidate. So the consulting firm where they work at now is gonna foot the bill for business school and they're gonna return to work there. The schools on their target list are Michigan, MIT, UCLA Anderson, USC Marshall, and Austin McCombs. Uh, they have a 4.0 GPA from undergraduate. They've been working for three years. They're based in Chicago, and they have a GMAT score of 380. Um, the main kind of quandary here is that they've been working as a consultant in a sports and entertainment group at the firm where they're, where they're working, and they're thinking about using the MBA as kind of a catalyst to grow their industry knowledge and, and really build connections in the sports industry before they go back to the same firm to continue that work. Um, but one of the things that they bring up is that they are considered a semi-professional sports better who has, and they claim they have published content uh, on the web as this kind of side gig. And they're wondering like, how does that play? And they actually point out that in some of the states in the United States, uh, sports betting is not, uh, is not legal. And some of the schools they're applying to are in those states. And so they're wondering like, does it, is a school in a state where gambling on sports is allowed? Is that like a better thing to talk about? Or like, how does this play just in general? And so Alex, I know you interacted with them on the site and I chimed in too, because this is a fascinating one, but what's your initial take here? Yeah, just a, a quick thing. They got a 680 on the GMAT for, you, you did say 380 grams. I just want to oh, make God. sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, 680. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so to, just to be clear on that, a 380 <laughs> Working in consulting with a 4.0 would be quite extraordinary. Yeah, that would be, yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, but yeah, um, but all right, let's, let's talk about the GMAT real quick. I think they're going to retake the GMAT, and I think they need to. Um, like they have, um, they, they have um, you know, the 4.0 GPA, so they're obviously very smart. I like a 4.0 GPA because that shows commitment over a good long period of time. Um, and, and so forth. And quite frankly, I think a, a very strong GPA is very predictive of, of someone's success in, in at top schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's hope they can nudge that GPA, uh, G, GMAT over that sort of 700 hurdle, get it closer to, well, some of the averages. I mean, they're, they're not targeting the very, very top schools, um, but, but certainly um, it, it, it would help to improve that um, um, GMAT. Um, you know, I think their work experience could be quite interesting, right? Consulting in the sports and entertainment space. Um, I can see that, you know, they're, they're sponsored. So they're going back to, to, to that um, situation afterwards. 
Um, we know that online gaming and sports, online gaming, I forget exactly what it's called, is a huge growth industry. Um, so I can see a, a, a profile like this really targeting that that industry as a sort of a long-term um, long term sort of um, um, goal and so forth post returning to consulting. Very nervous about this sports betting angle. Um, whether it gets mentioned or not um, is, 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 is one, one thing. But, you know, we had a conversation about it um, um, before, coming, before coming on, on, um, on, on air, Graham. And, and you, it can be legal in some states, right? I mean, yeah. for those of you that don't live in the US, it is very, quite a weird country quite frankly i mean gambling <laughs> is legal in some states but not legal in others you can't yeah. drink till you're 21 yet it's the freest country in the world um yet they have salary caps in their sports teams and so on and so forth so it always confuses me that this is the, the you know the, the it's the freest country in the world but they have all these restrictions on on stuff that we take for granted in in more progressive societies like the UK. Or <laughs> there I'm, you go. I'm, I'm joking uh. now, right? Obviously, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, but yeah. but um, but the, but this is a bit of an issue because you know, semi there are semi pro sports better. Well, I I come from the horse racing industry. I kind of have a persona in my mind of what that is, and it's not necessarily the most attractive sort of persona, mm. um, and, and 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 so on and so forth. Um, and you know, if you're writing content in that space, how are you, how are you making that content available only to those folks that are allowed to read it? Right. I mean, if I, if I'm reading the content in a state that's, you know, where sports betting is illegal, is that ethical or not? I mean, I don't get all that, hmm. but the other thing that you, you said was you were comparing it to another industry <laughs> oh, no. that's legal <laughs> But you wouldn't probably write about it in your MBA applications, right, Greg? And you, you can reveal what that industry is. I was talking about a couple of things. I mean, I think, so first of all, I would actually draw a, a line between, um, let's say that this person works at a consulting firm in the sports and entertainment sector, and that they've been assigned to work on several clients who are doing kind of, uh, maybe they're working with Major League Baseball on the betting um, stuff that MLB is now allowing and is is, is, is doing, in a, I think, in conjunction with some of the sports betting apps and, and things like that. So that's kind of a business thing, and they might be able to write an essay about how it's really a, a, a big industry. It's growing, and and they're kind of interested in in staying in the sports and entertainment sector, and and maybe specifically in in the kind of online betting space because there are a bunch of big big firms there that they've been working with or something. But that's different to me than saying when I'm not at work, I like to bet on sports and write articles about how to be better at betting on sports. Uh, I I just I don't know why, but it could be the sort of Puritan American in me. But there's this element of kind of, I don't know, sort of shadiness with respect to gambling or, you know, I mean, even for example, a lot of people talk about um, how marijuana is legal in some states now and not others, but I don't know that you necessarily would want to talk about how you spend your spare time growing marijuana or, you know, or, or, or sampling all the new types of marijuana that are available and can, and writing a blog about which ones are best um, in your state. Right. So there's just this sort of like line that gets crossed. And this isn't to say, I'm not judging this person. I'm just, again, this is purely me putting on my admissions reader hat and thinking about how an admissions reader would look at it. And so what I asked this person on the site was, 
do you do anything else? You know, and, and it turns out, yeah, they coach youth soccer. Um, they do some consulting with a nonprofit. And I just was wondering, you know, like, why not just focus and shine the light on those other activities and keep the sports and any betting related stuff confined to like, well, I've, I've counseled, um, you know, companies via my consulting firm that are in that space, you know, and it's, it's an interest, but it's not, I don't know. There's just a, a a line there for me. And I think the joke I was making to you earlier was about like, you know, you might work in the adult film industry or something, but I don't know that you would write that in your application either. There's just certain industries that have these connotations. And I, yeah, I just was a little worried. And I, I could not agree with you more though, that the, maybe some of it was in conjunction with, you know, well, the test scores kind of low, they're applying to pretty good schools and the GPA is stunning. Right. But it just, it all didn't add up right for me. And I was happy to hear that they have some other activities, which is great. Um, but yeah, having a better test score, showcasing that youth soccer coaching, that would all be great for me in terms of them increasing their odds dramatically of getting into a top um, program on their list. But that that's my take, Alex. <laughs> yeah, and we love things like youth soccer coaching because it has <laughs> mentorship aspects to it. It yeah. has... You know, you're giving back, you're doing stuff. I mean, that type of activity is the type of activity that Adcom truly does embrace. Um, so, um, so, 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 yeah, no, it's, um, you know, oftentimes we talk about this, well, not oftentimes, but once or twice we've talked about it with folks that do sort of professional poker playing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, maybe it works if they're using it to pay for their education, for example. Maybe that was their only route to get through their undergraduate degree or something like that. But right. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case um, in, um, and for, for, for this person. If it is, then that might be a story in of itself. Um, you just reminded me that when we talk about stuff like that, that, um, you know, it, it's it's, again, it's kind of this fine line, but it's also... Uh, just a case of, I, I don't know, it, it, it's sort of, um, I, I would almost liken it to sometimes we see candidates who talk about how they use most of their spare time to build an investment portfolio, you know, that they're, maybe they're an engineer and they're, and, and they're spending a lot of their spare time investing in stocks and day trading or, I mean, it's fine. Like, I don't mind that activity. And obviously a lot of people make investments and, and try to um, save for retirement or whatever it might be, but it's, it's sort of a, um, it's not the same as getting out on a soccer field with a bunch of kids yeah. and teaching them something, right? It's just sort of a solitary thing. And, and granted, this person's writing stuff for a broader audience maybe, but it's still somewhat of a solitary activity in my mind. So yeah, not the ideal thing, I would say. Yeah, yeah. No, and again, probably, probably a very strong candidate, bumps that GMAT score up, focuses on sports and entertainment as their story, um, coaches youth soccer, yeah. Sounding like a really cool person. Yeah. And I'll close with just this comment on the fact that being a sponsored candidate is, is of interest. As, yeah. You know, the schools on their list will be happy to hear that they have a job they're going back to. It sort of ticks one box right out of the gate, you know? So I think they could be fine. I hate, I feel like we've kind of poo-pooed, you know, this one hobby that they have very extensively, but it's more just kind of a, um, an interesting subject to discuss. And I hope that we've shed some light on it for those out there that are, you know, thinking about these types of topics. Um, but anyway, I think they're going to be fine. Get the GMAT score up a bit. They're sponsored. They will get into one, at least one of these schools on their list, in my view. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, all right. So I want to thank them for their post. Let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. 
So this is a, an apply wire entry that we received. Uh, they're actually, it looks like this person's thinking about starting in the fall of 24. So they're a little bit out um, from business school, although they have a very interesting dilemma that we're gonna get into. The target schools are Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Wharton, and Yale. This person is an Army Special Forces officer and they're looking to pivot out of um, kind of working um, in the military into consulting. And they've got Bain, BCG, and McKinsey on the target list. Their GRE score is a 322. They have a 3.4 GPA and they've actually already been um, in the military for eight years. They're located in Colorado. They're thinking of landing in either the Northeast or the Mid-Atlantic after business school. They mentioned, you know, they're obviously a current military officer. They've got these eight years of experience and they're specifically looking for advice about whether they should apply now and automatically try to defer an offer um, for the fall of 24 or whether they should just wait and apply in the regular round, um, well, apply in the regular sort of cycle next year. And the reason they're asking the question is because they know that they're gonna be deployed or go on a tour uh, for, for, you know, in the military next fall. And they're worried, I guess, that they may not have a lot of time to apply as a result, whereas I'm sensing that maybe this fall they have more time. Um, so that's the dilemma. They're kind of like, well, I'm gonna be busy, it, you know, active duty out somewhere next fall so why don't i apply this fall and just ask for a deferral um so i don't i don't know what you make of that and i actually wanted to ask you a question which they didn't pose but i was kind of curious about is is there a reason that they shouldn't just apply and try to go like do you think that they're required to stay in like they can't leave the military at a certain point or is like i didn't understand that and i don't know enough about the military to really know how that works but they've been in for a while so i wonder what's what's driving the kind of timeline yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what's necessarily driving the timeline, but they will be 10 years in, in the Army um, Special be. Forces um, yeah. when they matriculate. Which, okay. again, puts them on a little bit of the longer end. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, they're, they're really going to need to justify their fit when, when they do apply and, and, and that, that kind of stuff. Um, they can certainly justify the YMBA and Y top school given that they're transitioning from army to civilian life and so on and so forth, that's a natural um, pathway. But that fit aspect will be um, important. I really address in each of the schools why they're a good fit and how they're truly going to get involved. And I think as part of that, they really need to reach out, make sure they do reach out to the veterans clubs of each of these programs they're targeting. Um, and they can do all that stuff now. They, they don't have to wait um, because, I mean, my recommendation is they wait and apply next season. I don't think this idea of applying this season and then asking for a deferral is the best route. Um, schools are not necessarily excited to defer candidates that they've admitted in good faith to want to, to come this season. Um, so when, when you're then requesting a deferral and saying, well, I'm getting shipped abroad or something, it's like, well, didn't you know that before you applied, et cetera, et cetera. So it can get a bit uncomfortable if you try to go down that route. I would be, you know, you could do a lot of the groundwork now for your application for next season. Um, again, reaching out to the veterans clubs, that's really good networking. They're going to retake the GRE so they can 
start preparing and getting that done now. That 322 score, it's only just below Wharton's average right now, but they might <laughs> want to bump it up and, and really show Wharton that that average is on the lower end, right? <laughs> yeah, they actually, they mentioned that if they don't hit 327 or something yeah. with the retake, that they might look into doing HBS core or one of these kind of prep things. And I, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's reflective of someone really understanding the test score, right? Yeah. So, um, so retaking the GRE, pursuing potentially HBS core and, and MBA maths to sort of really round out that, 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 that sort of academic profile. You've got to believe, Grand, that the, the ADCOM are going to like their, their profession, you know, their experience in the special forces. There's going to be some, probably some really interesting um, stuff that they can draw from that that ADCOM generally um, really like in terms of their experience, their impacts, their growth, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. their leadership experience under stress, et cetera. So, so that'll be um, good. Their goals make perfect sense, consulting first, and then they're going into nonprofit. Um, um, they've, they've got some family-based nonprofit interests yeah. um, subsequent to that. So that all lines up. These schools are going to like that. I just don't, Graham, I'm, I'm not, not deferral by design. You labeled this candidate deferral by design. I don't like deferral by design. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I agree. I think they should just wait and apply. Plus, they have their hands full. They got to work on the GMAT or the, sorry, the GRE to boost that score. Um, as you said, there are other things they can be doing connecting with, with the veterans clubs, but making those inroads that they need to make. Um, they could even, frankly, the schools don't change the essay topics, um, or at least usually not, not, um, if you're going to apply to a bunch of schools, yes, there might be one or two essays that get shifted over the course of the year. Um, but there are certainly, you know, some things they could write, like I doubt HBS is going to change their essay question for next year. So they could start even, you know, drafting some of this stuff if they're worried about not having time in the fall. I mean, what they can do for sure is create their personal inventory. They could do all that sort of background work that we talk yeah. about in, well, I yeah. no, don't promoted say it. again, yeah. the admissions <laughs> academy, right? Yeah. So clear it plus, but they, so, but they can do all that. They can identify who their recommenders are going to be and start having those conversations yeah. and, and sort of prepping their recommenders, even though it's a year, year out. It, I mean, the more legwork that they do now, the easier it will be next season where they're just a bit stressed that they might not have the time to get everything ready for round one, et cetera, et cetera. But I think applying next season is the way to go. Yeah, and I would say um, two more very small points about this candidate. Number one, they're old, right? And we've mentioned that. But I think that when you're in the military, um, even schools that have a tendency to take younger candidates look the other way a little bit if you've got a, a, a rich kind of military background and, and some amazing leadership experiences, which seems to be the case here, plus international. I mean, they've, they've done a lot, and I, I think that'll play well. Yeah. So I'm a little less worried than if they were like, had been working for 10 years as a software engineer. Um, so they have like an excuse, arguably, for being out a bit longer. Um, that should be okay. And then the other thing I was just going to say is that I'm a little confused about the way they articulated the long-term goals. And I know you asked them a question about it too. And, and so I think one thing they need to work on is what is the role after the consulting? I mean, they talk about getting into nonprofit uh, consulting or sitting on some boards, but I really want them to be able to articulate that in a way that everyone can understand. So I, you know, I understand there may be some family business interests in, in nonprofit or the, uh, some background there, but they just, they need to be able to articulate that. And the good news is they have lots of time <laughs> to work on that story. Um, but I think they're going to be fine and they should just, yeah, 
um, do all the background work in the coming months and then just wait and apply early in you know that next season and th- they should be okay no very good very good all right so um, thanks for yeah picking out I guess we had the the GMAT retaker the gambler and deferral by design this week so love it <laughs> thanks for I picking these out <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah just please remember to rate and review the show wherever you listen uh, thanks everyone for tuning in and Alex will be back in one week's time to do it all again yeah best of luck everyone stay safe